What is the Common Good is a production of the University Church in Oxford. For more information, visit universitychurch.ox.ac.uk. The Common Good is an ideal we appeal to in our lives as citizens, as members of a political community with laws and rules to direct us and to uphold order and stability. But what does the common good mean in this distinctively public and political space? A space in which all citizens can participate. A space guaranteed by laws and even by force and coercion if necessary. Is there a way of thinking about the common good as a political concept? And are the rules in our political debates different from those we might follow as individuals or indeed as Christians? In this podcast, I'm joined by Paul Billingham, Associate Professor of Political Theory at Oxford and a Fellow of Magdalen College, to discuss how we might imagine and articulate the common good in our political lives. Hi Paul, thanks for joining me today. Hi Sarah, great to be here. So Paul, for you it's important that we see the political sphere as a distinctive kind of space in our common life and thus the rules that govern our political conversations are different from those we might use in other contexts or communities. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. So politics is the realm in which we decide the rules that we're all going to live by, the institutions we're going to all live under. And this involves coercion. In, in politics, we're not just seeking to persuade others of our vision for the common good or encourage them to live in the ways that we think are good. We force one another to obey particular rules via laws. And this raises distinctive questions about how we can justify this use of coercion and how we can best decide together what institutions are established, what laws are enacted that we all then need to live by. And that has implications for the kinds of arguments we can make in the public square, especially when we say things based on principles or beliefs that we know not everyone shares. That's right. So, as I say, I think the state coercing us requires justification. And yet in pluralistic societies, citizens disagree about all kinds of questions that might be relevant to that justification. Questions of morality, religion, what makes for good or flourishing flourishing life, what a, what a good society looks like, and, and so on. So the question is, what kinds of justifications for state coercion can be given, given that we have this disagreement? And there's an answer that a lot of political theorists tend towards, which is to think that the common good at the level of state action has to be pursued by offering reasons that are acceptable to everyone. These, these are known as public reasons in the literature. Oh, OK. And that has implications, right, for the place of religion in politics. So religious reasons will come from particular communities or traditions, and so many citizens wouldn't agree with them. Yeah, so it's often said that if we're going to be advocating for laws everyone has to abide by, we need to give reasons everyone can understand or accept. And that means that we should refrain from giving religious reasons, because as you say, they come from particular traditions that many don't accept. But that kind of idea has also faced lots of objections. And people say that it asks religious citizens to leave part of themselves behind 
when they enter politics to divide themselves into public and private parts in a way that violates their integrity as religious believers, indeed as, as people. And it might also seem unfair, unfair that religious citizens face this burden in public political life that non-religious citizens might not. And so because of that, some of the more recent contributions to the debate seek to give religious reasons more of a place in political life, while still holding on to this idea that the ultimate justification for state action and for laws shouldn't be exclusively religious. So the thought is something like, well, laws should ultimately be justified by these public reasons, but that doesn't mean that religion is excluded from political life. And my own views are along these kinds of lines. So I think that religion has an important part to play within political debates about the common good. It can be a source of moral insight, inspiration, motivation, even if it shouldn't be the exclusive basis on which laws are ultimately enacted. Ah, oh, so that, that sounds in many ways very appealing. But I guess it can be quite tough to work out what it actually means in practice. And here, do you think political theory can help us? Yeah, indeed. So I'm actually currently working on a book with another philosopher where the two of us debate these questions, what our answers might look like in, in real life. So she and I both agree religious reasons do have a place in public political deliberation, but we disagree about the nature and the stringency of the obligations that would apply to those who want to bring their religion into politics. So, for example, one thing we're going to debate in the book is whether religious citizens have to be willing to reconsider and revise their religious beliefs if they want to make political arguments that appeal to those beliefs. So my co-author believes that citizens have strong duties of fallibility and revisability with respect to any reasons they present in public. And that goes all the way down to being willing to question their fundamental beliefs. Whereas I think it's true that we should be ready to revise our political arguments, but that doesn't mean we should be, have to be ready to revise our fundamental beliefs and to open them up to scrutiny. So I think that we can hold on to our fundamental religious beliefs and participate in political arguments, arguing about their political implications. So what laws should be enacted given my religious beliefs? And we should be open to revising those arguments, but that doesn't mean we have to call into question or make vulnerable those fundamental beliefs themselves. So that's just one example of the kind of thing we're debating about in, in the book. Thanks. And listening to you, it makes me think, is one of the key questions how good the common good will be if we exclude from it some of the values and principles that matter to us? So is there a kind of trade-off in political thinking between what's common, what we can all share, and what we think of as truly good? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think much of the debate in political theory can be understood as about how to navigate that tension. So some theorists place all the emphasis on including all of the values that matter to us that we think are truly good. And they say basically anything goes as long as laws are democratically enacted and everyone can be involved in the decision-making process. And then there are other people who place all the emphasis on the need for what we might call generality, for ideas we can all share. So they say that all values that can't be shared should be excluded from political debate and decision-making, and we should only appeal to shared values. And then there are lots of views in between that seek to value both inclusion and generality. And so my own view leans more towards inclusion as a crucial thing, 
but I don't think we should completely give up on the importance of this principle of, of generality. Yeah, and is there something then here about how we think about human beings, about how we see the different aspects of human identity? So on the one hand, when we enter the public sphere, we need to be aware of ourselves as citizens standing alongside fellow citizens with whom we may well disagree quite fundamentally. But on the other hand, even as citizens, we're still ourselves with our own commitments. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's another way of getting at the, the same kind of tension we've been discussing, but from the perspective focused on our individual experience. So many people are passionate about particular political issues precisely because of their own distinctive commitments and values. And they want to bring those values, which are central to their identity, into their political advocacy. But on the other hand, when we enter into the political realm, we have to recognize we engage with fellow citizens who have very different perspectives. And as you say, they might well disagree with us quite fundamentally. So we can't simply say, this is who I am, these are my values, so we should enact this policy. We have to engage with difference, with disagreement. And that means being willing to think about things from others' perspectives, engage with other people, people's arguments, and recognize challenges, objections to our views. And in the end, we have to recognize that laws are imposed upon all of us as citizens, not as Christians or Muslims or humanists or whatever. So we have to accept that that identity as a citizen has a certain priority in politics. But that needn't mean that other aspects of identity must be completely excluded, as I've tried to say. Yeah, thanks. Um, and it's been really fascinating to hear about these debates in political theory. But I just wonder if you could say a bit more about what that means for churches and faith communities, especially if they want to enter into public debate. Do you think that churches need to learn to express themselves differently when they enter the public sphere? Great. So, I mean, in part, the answer to that is going to, of course, depend on your view on these debates in political theory. So for those who believe religious reasons just have no place in political life, they would say that if churches want to enter public debate, they have to express their views using generally acceptable reasons, public reasons, and avoid appealing to their distinctly religious ideas. But as I've said, I think that view um, is mistaken and it should be rejected. And so I think that faith communities should be able to offer explicitly religious arguments, appeal to the commitments of their faith. And I actually think that that's precisely how they can often make a distinctive contribution to political debate. Faith commitments can offer distinctive insights and insights that often those who don't share those commitments can also appreciate. But it's also true that building coalitions in a pluralistic society will involve moving beyond our own enclave, reaching out to people with different worldviews. And doing that requires that faith communities don't simply rely on religious arguments, but do think, seek to find language that can achieve more common ground. And actually, I think that many faith communities are, are pretty good at doing that. And many have long traditions of political advocacy in action that fits this kind of model where they present their distinctive commitments, but also reach beyond that to seek common ground. It's interesting to hear you say that. And I think the implication, at least for me, is that we need perhaps to think about multiple layers of the common good perhaps even multiple common goods. So in politics, we might want and need to be especially aware of what it is that we agree on, what we can justifiably enforce, even on those who are unwilling. But in other kinds of communities, perhaps we can look to a richer and deeper kind of common good, knowing that people can always opt out if they don't agree. Yeah, I think that's a 
really great way of thinking about it. In fact, you've put that so well, I don't think I really have anything to add. But perhaps a further point to make is that Christian theology is actually, I think, already well suited to endorsing the kind of view you just expressed, because Christians see the ultimate good as lying beyond the political realm. Indeed, they recognize that the common good here on earth is always going to be provisional, partial, incomplete. The Christian's hope for ultimate justice is found in the world to come, not not this one. So if Christians seek to enact their full common good within politics or to create a Christian state, then that's not just bad political theory. I think it's bad theology. And so in this sense, Christians should actually be willing to accept the limits of what can be achieved through politics. And as I've tried to say, that doesn't mean retreating to a Christian enclave or thinking nothing good can come out of politics. As you say, there is a common good to be found there. But it does mean remembering politics isn't the place where the ultimate common good or our ultimate hope lies. And it shouldn't be the source of our identity. Thanks so much, Paul. That's been wonderful and really helpful in thinking about the common good and its different kinds of contexts. Not at all. Thanks a lot for having me, Sarah. This episode featured Professor Sarah Mortimer, Associate Professor of Early Modern History at Oxford and Reader at the University Church, and Paul Billingham, Associate Professor of Political Theory at Oxford and a Fellow of Magdalen College. Music and Sound Design by Nicholas Alexander. Thank you for listening.